Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is T. Persad. I'm a lawyer, a mediator, and a consultant here at CPLSPA. Uh, this year, we launched a leadership mastery program where we have been interviewing uh, lawyers who have been experienced uh, for more than 40 years in uh, practicing law in Central Florida. Our first guest uh, was Leon Handley, uh, and we have had the opportunity to sit with him and talk to him about his life experiences and his experiences as a lawyer as he moved through the professional life cycle of uh, the profession of being a lawyer. Uh, our second guest we have the privilege of talking to today is uh, Charles B. Tiffany. Uh, Mr. Tiffany sitting to my left. Mr. Tiffany was born in uh, Johnson City, New York uh, in 1944. Moved to Florida in 1960, graduated from high school in 1962, and graduated from Daytona Beach Community College in 1964, uh, then went on to uh, Florida State University where he earned his bachelor's degree in 1965. After graduating from college, uh, Mr. Tiffany uh, enlisted in the military and served as a bombardier uh, navigator uh, in the Navy from 1965 to 1969. He was deployed uh, to uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Africa, and Europe. Uh, after uh, ETSing from the military, he enrolled uh, at the University of Florida Law School and in 1972 graduated and has been practicing law in Central Florida since then. His first stint of practicing law was as an assistant uh, state attorney with the State Attorney's Office for the Ninth Judicial Circuit in uh, Central Florida. Uh, Mr. Tiffany, thank you for coming in today. Pleasure, I appreciate it. Uh, so the, the reason why we started this program uh, was pretty simple. We wanted to try to capture the experiences and the relevant portions of uh, a lawyer's professional life cycle uh, from people who have actually gone through the process of uh, becoming a lawyer and going through each of the developmental stages of the professional uh, life cycle of lawyers uh, so that younger lawyers can get some insight as to what it takes to actually become not only competent uh, but also become a significant contributor to the legal profession. So we appreciate you taking the time to come in uh, and talk to us about that today. Uh, before we jump into it, uh, I'd like you to tell us a little about yourself, uh, other than what we just went over. I've spent a long time in my life learning that uh, it's not what's in your driveway that's really important, but it's what's in your heart. I mean, you can't, maybe that's why when they put a valve in my heart, I realize that's, I'm sure I'm glad they're not sticking a Chevrolet in there. But uh, I've learned that that's the only thing that really matters. And that uh, the, anything you do as a lawyer that sullies that is just uh, disgraceful and uh, I've always tried to be the kind of lawyer that uh, doesn't have to back up to the bank drive-in window to make money. Right. And I, of course, I, I never wanted to make money and I was a great success at not doing that, so <laughs> I should have been, but uh, I made some money, but I never th be candid with you. I would have paid 
the people I represented just to be able to represent them. <laughs> and that's true. And that's, I, I talk to this to people and people think I'm crazy when I tell them. But there is no greater thrill in this world. I mean, I don't care what it is. No greater thrill in the world than standing up before powerful groups and the government and saying, see this poor devil here? Before you get through him, you gotta get through me. How, what kind of job do you have that you can say that, you know? I mean, I'm a, hey man, I'm a run a hedge fund. Well, that's good. <laughs> you gonna take it with you? <laughs> anyway, uh, and that's the only sermon I'm gonna give today. Oh, well, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, well, you know, leading up to, up until you became a lawyer, what life experiences that you have that you thought had a meaningful impact on your, uh, on your practice uh, uh, when you started practicing law? Most important time a lawyer ever has with his client is the first 30 seconds. And if you can click with your insurance adjuster that's hiring you or whatever, in 30 seconds, you're probably going to do all right by that man or that woman. And so I, in the big boy business, I learned how to click with people. And uh, that and working in the carnival, but I'm not going through that story again. Okay. okay. What about your military experience? Did that influence how you practice law? Yes, it helped a lot. Uh, taught me how to be on time. You know, I'm pretty, you were in the Army, weren't you? I was, actually. Well, yep, and you learned about the first time there that you got to be on time. And if you're on time, most of the time, things are going to work out. And, uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, I think you learn the yin-yang theory of life when you're in the service, and that is you meet people that you love more than anybody you'll ever meet in your life, and you also meet people you hate more than anybody you'll ever know in your life. So when you... Um uh, when you were growing up, obviously uh, the, the strong influences in your life would be your mom and your dad um, and uh, people that you may have uh, experienced in authority figures in school. Um, how, did, how did those authority figures influence you um, and, and how did that influence affect how you chose to become a lawyer? I can remember like it was yesterday that there was a man by the name of Kramer, and he was the, up north they don't call them state attorneys, they call them district attorneys. And he was a district attorney, and he was running for office, and he came by the house knocking on doors, running for office. And uh, my father knew the man, and they were all talking, and I remember. He invited me, he said, now after I get elected and I got a case, come on down and watch him. So I went down to this old beat-up courthouse in uh, Binghamton, New York, and uh, he was there. They were trying some poor devil for uh, poaching, hunting with, you know, hunting without a license, doing all sorts of bad things. And maybe it's the fact when they pulled a guy over, he had four deer in the truck. <laughs> anyway, so this uh, 
man was prosecuting this guy, and I was watching it, and I said, I can't think of anything that would be more fun than being a lawyer. And from that day to when I got out of the service, I never had that thought in my head again. I never even thought about it. I never dreamed about it. I never said, you know, this is it. But then, the day I got out of the service, a friend of mine says, what are you going to do? And I says, I don't know. He says, well, why don't you go to law school? I said, that seems like a good idea. Uh, to this day, if I hadn't been talking to that friend, I'd probably be doing something else, I guess. I want to take you back to the first uh, two years of your practice. Okay. Uh, when you came out of law school and you um, had a chance to talk to the state attorney, get a job working at the state attorney's office. Uh, during those first two years, what are the hard skills that you needed to learn in order to become competent at what you do? Uh, back then, in fact, that about the first month I went in there, we had a new constitutional amendment that took over to run the courts called Article 5. And uh, we now had uh, county courts and uh, circuit courts. And uh, before that, we had all these other goofy courts, justice to the peace and all this stuff. Well, anyway, we just started trying cases. They gave me 10 cases on Monday morning and said, these are all set for trial this week. And they didn't, we didn't have a lot of extra people, so I just went in. And I had no more idea what I was doing to the man in the moon, but I had remembered something that General Grant had said. And he said he was always terrified of going into battle till after his first battle when he realized the guys on the other side were as scared of him as he was of them. And I got thinking that. And from that, after that, I just, they'd give me the file and I'd try the case and I never cared if I won or lost. But what I learned is don't give it away. I never pled anybody out. Uh, they could plead guilty if they want. And, and they would all, all these guys, these hotshot lawyers around here would all, oh, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. I said, why? Said, we don't want to go to trial. I said, no, you don't want to go to trial. You want to put your fee and get out to the country club and tee off, you know, but you're going to have to uh, earn the pay. And so uh, after two years of that, I thought I would be comfortable in any courtroom in the country. Did you have any important mentors? Oh, uh, your previous honoree here, Leon Hanley. He told me that whenever you get a chance, talk to everybody you meet. Talk in churches, you know, practice talking. Because when you, I'll never forget him saying this, when you're talking to people, they're talking to you. And you learn how to listen. And once you learn how to listen, you can just do about anything in the law business because most lawyers are so arrogant and stupid, they don't listen to what's going on. They only want to listen to themselves. And I found that happens, call them ABC lawyers, arrogant, boring, and condescending. And they're all over the place. And, uh, well, that's another story. I'm not going into that. But anyway, Leon Handley and uh, the state attorney here, his brother just passed away, a guy named Bill Egan, his name was Bob Egan. He gave me, gave me a job 
and I was right in that building across the lake there, and when I went to interview him, and he said, uh, you want to be a prosecutor? And I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I want to try cases and all this other stuff. He said, okay, okay. Is this enough money? And he wrote a figure down on a piece of paper, and he handed it to me. Well, I looked at it, and it was at least $5,000 more than anybody I heard that I was going to school with was making. Well, I couldn't say anything. <laughs> I went, yeah, I think that's just just great, Mr. Reed. <laughs> and uh, he did give me a good job, and he, he, um, he took me on grand jury investigations. And uh, I watched him work, and he was like a rattlesnake. He would uh, not make an objection throughout the whole trial. He'd just sit there like a coiled snake. And all of a sudden, he would strike, and that was it. So uh, he was a great mentor, Bob Egan was. Uh, of course, Leon Hanley was a great mentor. But the greatest mentor at all was a man by the name of Charlie Cullum. He was an old dude around here. His great claim to fame was that when he was in the Coast Guard during World War II, his shipmate was Cesar Romero, the guy that ended up in all the Batman shows. Well, anyway, Charlie Cullum was outside the courtroom one time, and I was defending a guy for rape. He was accused of raping his next-door neighbor, which made absolutely no sense to me, but anyway, he was accused of it, and they, she ID'd him and all this stuff. Well, anyway, he's sitting at the table there, and during a break, and they got some guards in there, and I was outside the hall, and Charlie Cullum comes up to me, and he says, you know, years ago, my clients would tell me things, and I wouldn't believe them, and I'd spend all my time trying to proved to myself that they weren't telling me the truth. And most of the time, uh, they were lying to me, he said. But you know, there was a few times when they probably weren't. And then God forgive me, I didn't believe a man who was telling me the truth. He said, that day I just said, I don't care what a client of mine tells me, I'm going to believe him. Because if he wants to lie to me and make things worse, well, that's his business. But, but if he's telling me the truth, I can make a better lawyer. And uh, I had never forgot that advice from Charlie Cullum. He was a great mentor. How did you escape that being a problem or a habitual problem that impacted your practice or impacted your personal life? There's something you learn as a lawyer. Is that when you walk out of one door of your life and you go to some other place, you do what you have to do in that place. And when you come back to that first door, you don't do anything to, you don't bring the stuff from the second door back into the first door. You compartmentalize everything. You, that's why Bill Clinton uh, was so great at what he did. He could compartmentalize all his problems in one door, but then you wouldn't know when he was doing other stuff that he was going to be impeached and tried in the Senate because he learned how to compartmentalize. How did you learn how to compartmentalize? Was it, was it something in your military training? Was it something in the law school training? Was it a life experience? Was it something you learned at home? 
It's what my father taught me. When you're in the house, you're in the woman's world. When you leave the house, you're not in the woman's world anymore. You're in the world of men. And when you come back to the house, you enter the world of women. And you don't bring the problems that you encounter in the world of men, in the world of business, back home, no matter what happens. Because this is what you learn. You haven't paid your... You're, you haven't had a client in two weeks. It's always in the month of August, by the way. You haven't had a client in about two weeks, and you don't, you're really worried that your reserves are gone. You don't know what's going to happen. So you're uh, uh, depressed and you're moody, and your wife will say, Hey, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And about another hour, she'll say, Well, what's wrong? And you'll say, Nothing, nothing. Then about an hour later, she'll say, come on, I'm your wife. We've been married 25 years. I can handle it. Tell me what's wrong. And I said, I don't know. I haven't had a new client in two weeks. And if, I, if something doesn't turn around, I'm going to have to go to the bank and tamp our savings to keep going. And she says, I told you not to leave the state attorney's office. <laughs> what advice do you have for younger lawyers who actually experience that type of stress and have to... Uh, deal with those issues and uh, are sometimes tempted to turn to alcohol or drugs in order to self-medicate. I tell them, I told them just about every one of them, join every club you can. Because first of all, uh, it'll give you a place to go where you'll be thinking about it and, you're, and it'll take your mind off stuff. Join something like the Toastmasters, where you have to practice speaking in front of groups, but you'll also be forced to <coughs> you'll be forced to uh, compartmentalize your world even more, and you'll find the more people you associate with that they're in as much trouble as you are, and once you realize we're all in the same boat. See, that's the thing that most people don't realize. We're all in the same damn boat, you know, and one thing's for sure. You know, when the water's coming over the side, you know, uh, figuring out who's the captain doesn't really matter that much, you know. And so uh, I try to teach people to, if, you, if you're having a lot of stress and things are bothering you, don't expect it to get better. Take your mind off it. And the only way to take your mind off it is to join groups, get involved with politics, uh, you know, do all sorts of things. But don't sit around the house because you'll go right to the bar. What kind of needs did you have during this first 10 years of your practice that you felt that could have been met a little better than they were? I never had anybody backing me up. So I would be, like in the morning, I may have a case in, uh, had a case in Bartow. Well, I'd drive down there, then I'd be back, you know, and then I'd have something in another place, and I had nobody to back me up. I did have a good answering service, and she managed to keep track of me. She did, that, that was, I remember telling her how much I appreciated she, she didn't. She says, well, I'm never going to do it again, and I says, why is that? And she just said, I just hit the pick five. 
<laughs> I'm in a good mood and I'm quitting this job. I'm not going to be calling you at 3 o'clock in the morning anymore. But um, once I had started making enough money in advancing my practice, uh, I had the best thing a lawyer can ever have. I had a private investigator that worked just for me. Uh, he was the, had been in prison about three times and you know you always hear about the 27 page rap sheet. Well his was longer than that. It was the, One time they made him post, the, made the sheriff's office post a bond before they'd send the guy's rap sheet down from Washington DC. His name was Terry Burris, and he was the smartest human being I ever knew. But uh, he liked to do things that weren't good for him or anybody else. But um, having him at my back really, uh, really helped me. He was the only person I was ever afraid to misspeak around. Yeah. Like, uh, remember in the Beckett, with, uh, when he said, uh, when the king said, won't somebody rid me of this meddlesome clerk? And they went and killed Beckett. Well, I was always afraid if I said something to Terry about, see, I don't like that guy. I wish something bad would happen to him. Well, it would, so I had to watch that. But uh, after uh, him, I had a couple others. But then I had uh, a man named Bo Lacey who was, uh, if you can imagine what a man that's five foot eight and weighs 300 pounds and used to be a deep sea diver and uh, could sit around and drink a bottle of scotch whiskey down and not, and fill a crossword puzzle out in ink. That was my last investigator, Bo Lacey. He just passed away. But uh, a man needs a, you've got to have a running mate. You've got to have somebody behind you to back you up. What about mentorship? Uh, during that time when you were a solo practitioner, did you, did you miss the opportunity to have someone to guide you through the process, to, to help you uh, talk about issues uh, with clients, uh, trial strategy issues, those types of things. Did you, did you miss that sense of community that you get with a bigger firm? Well, the problem is this. Uh, you have to assume this all-knowing, all-powerful man behind the, the curtain, Oz type of persona. You don't want people to know you need help from anybody. So when you talk to younger lawyers today, um, and, and they feel that they have to be that wizard behind the curtain uh, and they have to put on this persona. Uh, they have to, to, to fake it until you make it and continue to fake it until you make it. Uh, what advice do you have for them about that and swallowing their pride and actually seeking out the help they need? Can I steal that fake it until you make it? Yes, <laughs> I like that line. Uh, let me see. Uh, modern lawyers aren't what I call lawyers. Uh, it's all changed. 
What do you mean by that? Uh, I always had the vision of a lawyer as a medieval knight, a champion, you know, doing all this stuff, heroic things, you know. But uh, modern people are uh, losing the heroic outlook of life of being the warrior lawyer. It's like uh, Joseph Campbell's book about the, the hero through time or the hero's story. So you think modern lawyers are more, they're doing this as an occupation more so than a profession? Yes, they're doing it uh, because it's not, I don't know any lawyer that ever carried a load of shingles up a roof in Florida in the summertime so there's no heavy lifting in it. And if you're halfway intelligent, you can make a decent living. Although the um, modern change in the personal injury world has made a lot of guys actually have to do something to get by. Uh, used to be, being a lawyer was like stealing money. You'd get a call from somebody and say, hey, oh, my kid got killed or I'm in a wreck or something. I said, I'll take care of it. I'd call up some law firm that I knew, some friends, and then about six, seven months later, I'd get a big old check in on a referral fee and I never did anything. But now, they're, all the advertising lawyers are cutting back on the referrals because they're throwing all their money into the, uh, the stuff. I, I've written a, written a bar about a campaign to do away with the contingency fee, which I think is absolutely outrageous. It uh, is expensive for everybody. It demeans the profession and a bunch of other things. But, you know, I didn't get a lot of support for that. <laughs> I don't know. So moving on to the, to the next 20 years of practice. Yep. Uh, during this next 20 years of practice, were there any hard skills that you thought you needed that you didn't have, um, and did you seek to get those? I had to convince the hardest skill, and I never did master this, but I tried to, is to accept the fact that for the good of your clients, you've got to use science that you don't believe in. Like I don't, the whole concept of mental illness, and uh, I killed somebody, and but I didn't know it was right from wrong. I've always thought that's a lot of hogwash. Uh, uh, if it wasn't, people would kill other people in front of policemen. But unless you're some idiot terrorist, you never see that happen very often, you know. When we're talking about this period of time, did you notice a shift in what you needed in terms of mentorship, in terms of the sense of community, other lawyers, or, uh, or was it the same as during the first 10 years of your practice? My arrogance level had reached such a point after 20 years of practice that I firmly believe they could have handed me the file to the IBM antitrust case and argue it before the Supreme Court, and I would be able to do it. And so I'd created this mythological me. How, how, why do you think that happened? In my lifetime, I've always been on the hind teat in life. Uh, my family never had much of 
And one of the reasons were that other people in positions of authority took advantage of my family, both sides of it, all the way out. And uh, I was brought up with this awful chip on my shoulder, you know, and, uh, and uh, the desire to get even, get even, get even, see. Well, the problem with getting even is you don't get rich. <laughs> I just wish there was a way you could get rich and get even at the same time, but I never managed to do that. So I had to, by now my arrogance had reached such a point that I thought I was invincible. And so I didn't even think about it. Everybody else was wrong but me. You and I talked over lunch uh, some time ago, and one of the things you told me that was important to you in the last phase of your professional life cycle was uh, giving back to the community and helping younger lawyers and developing other lawyers. Yeah. Um, how important is that to you now, and what efforts have you made uh, to further that goal? I've uh, answered every phone call that anybody ever made asking for help. I'm, I'm in this thing that the Florida Bar puts out for advice to lawyers. So I get these calls and these emails from all these people all over Florida with these absolutely impossible situations they get in because the hardest thing to teach a young lawyer starting out is to say no. Say no to clients. You can't, you can't take every case. You've got to, you got to say no. And you, when you get in situations that you get in, you got to get out. So I've been trying to teach young folks how to keep from getting in the tar baby that just drags you down and ruins you and guts you because the, most of the people that you get involved with wouldn't throw water on you if you were on fire. And uh, I've been teaching them that, and I've been, the big thing is to teach people, don't be afraid. Like Grant, remember I told you, don't, you realize that them people are as scared of you as you are of them? And that go into court like you're gonna win. And thinking positive the whole time. Act like you wanna be there. I wanna ask you three questions. Um, as if I'm a new lawyer, or a 10-year lawyer, or a 20-year lawyer, um, and I want you to tell me what you would want me to know in order for me to succeed uh, for that phase of my professional life cycle. Okay. Uh, so you've met me for the first time. Okay. I'm a young lawyer now embarking on my professional career, okay. uh, and I'm coming to you for advice. In, in, in two minutes or so, what do I need to know? Report every penny you take in. Don't put cash in your pocket. Because the first time you worry about it, and, but the second time it's easier, and pretty soon you're cheating on your taxes, and sooner or later they're gonna get you. And your life's gonna be ruined. So just say to yourself, I'm not gonna, I'm going to report the money I get in because most of you're not making much money anyway, so you're not going to be paying much taxes anyway. And just don't cheat on your taxes because if you'll cheat on your country, you'll cheat on everybody else. That's the first thing I tell all young guys I'm, that I try to mentor about how to keep out of trouble. And the second is stay married to the same woman.
you know. Um, or guy. Yes. You can't, you know, if, if your home life is miserable, the rest of your life's going to be miserable. So what else would I need to know as a new lawyer, besides those two things, in order to have a successful first 10 years of practice? The Leon Hanley rule. Talk to everybody. Teach Sunday school. Uh, join the Toastmasters. Join the, the Eagles Club. Uh, talk to everybody. And if you are about broke, go to pick a tavern and go there on Friday nights and sit in the corner and moan and, and have a couple of drinks. And when the bartender says, what's wrong? You'll say, I just lost another case. The guy bounced me a check. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And about two minutes later, some guy will come up and say, I got charged with driving on a suspended driver's license and carrying a short-bailed shotgun. Can you make me a good deal? You got 250 bucks on you? He says, no, I only got 500. I said, you got a lawyer. I said, don't you have to go where the clients are. The clients aren't at the country club. And they're not in your office. Not in my office, but the clients, you, you teach them, go where the clients are. I read, I read a quote from you in a, a newspaper article, and it said, uh, the lawyer who travels 100 miles to make $300 makes more money than the lawyer who sits in his office and looks out the window. That's, that's, that's for certain. I, you know, of course, today is Wednesday. There's the Friday afternoon lawyer. If you come in to see a lawyer on Friday afternoon and you got $500, it doesn't matter if you're charged with kidnapping Lindbergh, baby, you're going to have a lawyer. Because <laughs> if you go home on Friday nights with $500, you're going to have a good week. Now, I'm, I'm the, 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 the lawyer who's had 10 years of practice. Yep. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I'm sitting down with you for lunch. And... Uh, I'm reflecting on my past 10 years and reminiscing on that a little, and I'm planning uh, on my next 10 years of practice, and I want to uh, get some sound advice from you. What advice do you have for me? I'd think seriously about avoiding these criminal insurance guys that want you to get these, what do they call those things? Ah, boy, my dotage. When you, they pay you money when you get older. Annuity. Avoid them because they're nothing but a ripoff. And make sure you start putting money away because you're going to have 10 more good years probably. And, you know, I know you want a new Beamer. I know you want to go skiing in Aspen. But you want to, these last 10 years, you want to start piling it away because once you're retired, that's it. The tap stops, no matter what anybody says. Well, Charlie, I appreciate you taking the time today. This has been a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, and um, uh, I appreciate everyone coming in and spending some time with us uh, and learning about some of the experiences uh, of uh, someone who's uh, had uh, a lot of history in, in, in Orlando and Osceola County and Kissimmee and uh, all of Central Florida. I think your life experiences uh, is going to be valuable to new lawyers and lawyers who have been practicing for some time. Uh, and hopefully it, it will help them make wise decisions uh, as they continue uh, their practice until they get to the stage of retirement like you have. Thanks again. Thank you. Yeah.